This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. This is the Pro Audio Suite, a program all about audio and voiceover. Our panel consists of George the Tech Whittam from LA, Robert Marshall of Someone Audio Post Chicago, and Source Connect, Darren Robbo Robertson of Voodoo Sound Sydney, and myself, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent based just out of Melbourne, Australia. Don't forget to check out all episodes on our website. That's theproaudiosuite.com. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. We have a very special guest this week um, from the United States of America. Well, actually, not really. More from Holland, but lives in the United States of America. Paul Strickverder, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Now, a year ago, you had uh, a very nasty experience. You can say that. I remember the day. I don't know how many of you have heard my story, but it was a year ago on March 26th that I passed out in my studio. I don't have any ventilation in my studio, so it was one part lack of oxygen, one part it was my heart, and um, my heart eventually ended up sending a blood clot to my brain, and uh, when I woke up, I was paralyzed on the studio floor. I had no idea to open that heavy studio door because I, I didn't have any strength in my arms, in my legs, and I tried to talk to my phone to wake up Siri to call 911, but I had very slurred speech, and so my phone didn't understand me either. So I was locked up in this studio and I thought, you know, this is my final hour, I'm gonna die. And I had a, I had a terrible stroke. But my wife was expecting me at a council meeting where she was, she's a town councillor here. And I didn't show up as promised and um, she got very worried. So when I didn't show up, she called the chief of police and they, they checked on me and they saved my life. So, but it had not been for my wife, I would no longer be here. I mean, um, you could probably still hear it from the way I talk. I'm, I'm not speaking the way I'm used to speaking. It's not as fluent. And um, I have trouble finding words and remembering, remembering things. And I stumble over my words and I talk too fast when I get really enthusiastic. But I've recovered pretty well and I can, I can walk again and I can do my work, not as well as I, I could, but I can still do voiceovers, thank goodness. But like I said, it had not been for my wife or we'd be dead by now. You know, the plasticity of the brain, it's amazing how, how it'll come back. It'll take a little bit of time, but um, I had a family member who had a stroke, and um, it's amazing how they're all so different because some people walk into the hospital and don't come out, and other people go in on a stretcher, and then the recovery is amazing, like, like it never yes. happened almost. Yes. And, um, so That's why they say different strokes for different folks. <laughs> boom, boom. I guess that's where that saying comes from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. I've been visiting too many hospital waiting rooms because I've had therapy like four days a week and uh, right. it's going better now. But uh, I see so, I've seen so many people who are a lot worse off who are literally, who can't move a limb, who are drooling and are totally dependent on their partner. And then I look at myself and yep. I almost feel guilty for how well I'm doing and that I'm so lucky. I guess it wasn't my time, and I, I feel that um, that one of my missions in life is not only doing nice voiceovers and writing interesting blogs, but also doing some education and tell people about what it's like and how to prevent strokes. So uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk, to talk about it a little bit and, and open up. 
Yeah, yeah. It was really terrifying. And for a couple of weeks, it was it was really close call, but I made it. And you're absolutely right. The brain has this tremendous plasticity where you you don't get any brain cells that you lose. You don't get them back. But what happens is that different parts of the brain take over. It, it does. It does. Yes. Use this now instead. It's literally like exercising a muscle. Um, yes, yeah. yes. I had to relearn how to walk and I had to relearn how to talk. When I just got out of that, that stroke, I could not express myself. I could not emote. I sounded like a robot. And it was so incredibly frustrating because I had this script and I knew where I wanted to put the emotion, but I couldn't get it out of my mouth. But I thought, you know, as long as my brain knows what I should sound like, I eventually will be able to recreate it. And with a lot of work and a lot of help from uh, speech therapists, I eventually got there. I'm not there 100%, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I'll get there at some point. But it's, you're right, it's a lot of hard work, but the brain can do it. Absolutely. You know, a different, a different sort of angle on the same subject, but um, I, I know that it, there, there was a, a hand model in New York who had, like, insured her hand. And it was, it was, it was a news story. I remember, you know, reading and, you know, it makes you think like, you know, your voice is your, is your entire living asset as far as like how you make your living. And it's like, I, I wonder if voiceover people have ever insured their voice. Is that a thing? Yeah, I do know. I try to do it here um, to, with no success, but I do know because Nick Tate told me that um, when he first started doing uh, movie trailers, I think it was Don LaFontaine told him to get go and get his voice insured. And, um, you know, imagine losing your voice when you're earning, you know, a million bucks a year or something. Yes. Right. I know opera singers do it. Yeah. I did make sure that I got a very good ENT who specializes in performers. And, um, you know, they put a tube down your nose and in your, into your throat and looking at your vocal folds. And... Um, because my voice wasn't the same. It tires really quickly. It sounds like I've been speaking for hours, even when I've just talked for 10 minutes. And she discovered that um, there was something wrong with my uh, my vocal folds that was probably the result of the stroke and that might never heal. The only thing that she could suggest was an injection, but uh, that's only 50% success and 50% chance that it makes things worse. But it is a tremor on my vocal folds that causes my voice to strain and tire easily. So I'm not so happy about that residue, but um, it's again, I think it's it's a muscle, so I keep on practicing. There's, um, there's a, an app called the Voice Builder that I highly recommend, where if you ever have vocal trouble, it's a vocal coach, uh, who had developed it, who is the vocal coach to the to the stars like Christina Aguilera and uh, Barbara Streisand and Whitney Houston when she was when she was still alive. He developed a program called Voice Builder and I, I found it very beneficial. But you're absolutely right. I was terrified when I found out that I had this um, tremor on my vocal fold that would probably never go away because I thought, my gosh, there goes my career. What do we do now? And I seriously right. thought about stopping and giving up and uh, becoming a full-time writer because um, I just couldn't do the audiobooks, couldn't do long-form narration. But now I've found a way to do less and make more, <laughs> which I enjoy doing anyway. So I'm doing short-form now, trying to get better rates and make more by doing less, which is something I can hardly, uh, uh, I can advise everyone, really, that they should go that way. Do more, <laughs> make less. Good man. Do, do less, <laughs> make more. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> 
Like, I wonder if you can ensure your voice for a particular incident and maybe you lose a gig. Uh, we, we had an incident the other day where uh, a voice talent, you know, lost his voice. And luckily we were able to record him a week later. But in a different situation, it just would have been, we have to get somebody else. We're sorry. Yeah. I don't know how you go about that. Um, you just lose the gig. Unfortunately, but it'd be great if you get some kind of insurance for it. <laughs> That'd be. Yeah. I wonder if they'd do it for hangovers. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Hangover insurance. Yeah. I can't work fault. today. I'm making a claim. I'm seriously hungover. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think that a lot of newcomers don't really realize how vulnerable they are and how much you really have to put into your rate in order to make a living and to be safe in your existence as a professional. And that includes you have to be paid for the times that you do not work, that you're not allowed to work, not able to work. And um, it's everything's fine as long as you're healthy. You don't think about, I have to insure my voice. You don't think about life insurance. You don't think about uh, reserving money for your funeral. We don't want to do that. Those are topics we'd like to not think about. But once some ser- something serious happens, like a stroke, that completely comes out of the blue and hits you in the face, and there you are, you wake up in a hospital bed, you have no idea what happened, and you're some, so you realize that you're in a bed in a situation where you spend like $20,000 a day, and that's even cheap. And uh, you have to pay a surgeon $100,000. Um, there are people here in the United States that when they come home, they got hit by a bill from the helicopter that transported them from home to a hospital, $46,000. And you can go bankrupt simply because something happened that you have no influence over that took you by surprise. They have to build that into their fee. And um, most people have never thought about it. Yeah, They could lose their job. I mean, you can, you, you can get a stroke or you can cross the road and something could happen because we don't want to think about those things. We want to push them away as far as possible. And we always look, want to look at the bright side of life and celebrate uh, our business, the business that we're in, and show our best side off to our colleagues. Everything is going well and we're invincible. And we're not. Well, as I, ex- as I personally experienced a year ago, we're not invincible. Yeah. I did actually see your blog recently, which uh, kind of covered some of those points, but um, uh, directing mainly at people on social media, asking, dare I say, inane questions. Um, And (laughs) I thought your blog was, it was all the stuff that every time you read this thing, you want to actually say, but you think, oh, probably best left. But you said it all, which is great. What's been a response to to that blog? It's been tremendous, really. It's, it's, It's amazing. And it surprised me because I've been saying the same stuff for the past 10 years, really. When I, when I look at what I started writing, when I started blogging 10 years ago, these were the things I wanted to blog about because these are the questions that people had then and they still have them. So every time I write a blog, I get people who thank me over and over again and say, you know, this is so enlightening. I'm glad you told me because I never thought about it. And there's people who say, oh, you've been preaching to the choir. You really got to stop doing that because we know it. Well, you know, a lot of people know what to do, but they don't do it. And that's our problem. And we need repetition for things to sink in. And so that's a little part of my my mission and my vision for my blog is to be that repetitive voice at the back of your mind that say, please take this into consideration. And um, it's I, I want to enhance people's professionalism by 
letting them think about the things they don't want to think about and um, go beyond the super superficial conversations that we have with one another about these things on Facebook. Because I, I think it's great to have your short interactions with people on these threads. You, you get three or four lines in and then somebody else takes over. And a blog actually allows me to elaborate a little bit and build on a topic and expand and have a whole series about what it's like to be in this business. And people can relate to it. And I've also had people who are very angry and who think I'm just the biggest jerk in voiceovers. They think I'm a very nasty man because <laughs> I take away their dreams or I want to um, scare off the competition. That's another big thing that I always get. Oh, you know, you're just one of those old folks that is afraid of the new generation. We can do anything we want, any way we want, and we don't need your advice. Well, okay, you don't have to. I mean, I don't need to convince anyone of anything if that's the way you want to play the game. I'm just trying to be helpful. But it's it's so far, it's really good. And um, I'm not going to lie. Part of why I blog is because I want to get people to my website. Because when they do, Google thinks I'm very important. And when Google thinks I'm important, they put me higher up the rankings. And when clients look for an international voiceover like myself, I'm one of the first ones to show up. So, you know, it, it, I think it's a win-win situation. I try to provide good content for my community and I try to uh, work on my search engine optimization through my blog. And so far, it's been a great strategy because I really haven't spent a dime on advertising. Yes, the, uh, the old SEO, the blog on your website is a very good idea. That kind of goes to the core of the whole union, non-union thing as well. You know, because people don't think about that. Yeah. I saw, I actually saw, um, it was Bob Bergen, and he was quite open on a, a thread somewhere where he talked ex about that exactly. He did actually say that he was lucky that he, he'd been in the industry at the time when it was, you know, you were paid very well for your work. But it looks like his pension, when he stops working, his SAG pension, he's still going to be paid like $100,000 a year. Yeah. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's because... We talked earlier about the advantages and disadvantages of, of working by yourself in isolation. And um, we're vulnerable and we need to protect ourselves. And that's one of the great things about being in a union. When I was a journalist working for Dutch National and International Radio, uh, the first thing I did is become a member of the union because I needed that protection exactly for the things like we, we discussed, what, what happens when you lose your voice, when you can't work anymore. You need to have workers' comp and make sure that uh, you, you get paid when you cannot work. And um, many people don't think about that. And at least when you're a member of the union, you know that you're covered. But, you know, with somebody in my situation, most of my jobs are not in the United States, so I, I really wouldn't qualify for any union job. So it's it's just me, myself, and um, my, my boss, my wife, <laughs> who takes care yeah. of the finances. Well, I'm going to have to sign off. It was really wonderful to have the opportunity to uh, speak with you. Hey, likewise. You're going to face the music now, I heard? I am. There's a, my daughter's concert is starting imminently, so I have to go in. But, All right, yeah, enjoy. Like, thank you for coming on. And uh, you guys, thank you for your flexibility. Sorry about the uh, phone catch here. Too easy. It worked perfectly. Oh, yeah. Go enjoy the concert. <laughs> All right. See you, Rob. Now, I was going to talk about um, your blog as well, because uh, one of the things that I find really frustrating when I read some of these uh, threads, as I mentioned before, the questions are quite inane, but they're, apart from being inane, they're also so naive and entry-level kind of questions. And you think... If you don't know what that is, how on earth do you think you're going to make a living out of this industry? 
But people don't know what they don't know. And they like to parade their ignorance all over social media. It's, it's really laughable. And uh, I really have to think deeply about what I want to write about and put myself into the, the shoes of those people who don't know what they don't know. I found a new audience that way. And yes, you're absolutely right. It's, you look at those questions and say, gosh, why haven't you thought about it? I think people have become really lazy. You know, you and I probably grew up in a time where there was no internet and when you had to go to the library to do some research. And that's what I did. I mean, I, I joined a radio um, a company in the Netherlands, a broadcasting company, a public broadcasting company when I was 17 years old and I knew nothing about the business. But before I came in, I made sure that I read as much and talked to as many people as I could. I was making youth radio programs. We had this great program where I was one day I was a presenter, the next day I was a producer, the next day I was a roaming reporter. The day after that, I picked out the music and so on and so forth. So I learned all aspects of the business and I asked questions, questions and questions, but not until I first had made an attempt to find the answer myself. Now, fast forward to now, 2019, where ignorance is no longer an excuse because you find anything anywhere on the internet. Just type in the basic questions, you get tens of millions of hits of answers. But people are not even willing to do a basic internet search. No, they have to bother other people online and ask those questions. And there's people who respond to those questions as well. Yeah. I mean, I have better things to do than that. So I put them in a blog so people can refer to them through my answers later. But I... I one of my things is to tell people, stop feeding those babies, you know? People, babies don't learn how to eat and feed themselves if you keep on spoon-feeding them. People don't deserve it. They have to show some effort and some interest in the job itself and some basic knowledge and understanding because otherwise you don't deserve my time. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more radical about it and I, I refuse to, to be an enabler of those people who don't want to spend the time to do a basic Google search. It's it's really appalling. Yeah, but it's interesting. The people that do actually spoon feed them, I think they do it for their own ego. It makes them feel important. Yeah, you're right. I think so too. Because on the in internet, it's an equal playing field. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're an expert or you're an idiot. You all get the same level of attention. We can see it from the answers. There's certain groups, if I want to have a good laugh, I go to them in the morning and, and they always make my day because they're so dumb and stupid. <laughs> and really, it's, it's and, and you see the same discussions over and over again, you know, should I use a Mac or a PC? Should I record sitting up or sitting down? What do I do with mouth noises? How do I quote? I mean, it goes on and on and on. You can make a whole list. And I've done that too. And, and hopefully people will, in the hopes people will stop asking them, but it comes back again and again and again, and it's such a big waste. Yeah, I, I don't get the entertainment value out of it, unfortunately. I just read, read them and get really <laughs> angry that uh, there's so many idiots in there just muddying the waters for the rest of us. Yes, absolutely. Which is, which is a problem, and it has become a problem that uh, now a lot of people who have worked for their whole career online... Um, have no idea how the business used to work and they assume that that is the business. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're not helped by colleagues who should know better at all. Yeah. My philosophy is now, yeah, if those people struggle, let them struggle. You know, you need to give people an opportunity to fail. And what we're doing now is we enable them to succeed at their level and by spoon-feeding them the answers. 
I want people to fail as much as they can because that's the only way some people will learn. Because um, I've I've given them advice at the beginning too. And you know what? They don't listen to it. They're not grateful for it. You don't get a thank you for it. And uh, it just ends up in a big black hole. And, and it, it's a waste of my time. I mean, I've I've every week I get questions because of my blog from people. And the basic question is, can I pick your brain? Where I can tell them everything that I know and they don't have to pay for anything. They don't have to send me a gift card or a cup of coffee, whatever. And... Um, I've done that. I've done that many times in the beginning because I said, I'm a nice person. I want to help people. I had my start thanks to a lot of people on whose shoulders I was able to stand and they, they talked me through it. But I'm not doing it anymore because I've, I've dealt with the most ungrateful people whom you never hear back from again. And then you lose two to three hours a day where I can make money. So I, I, I stopped being a nice person and I said, I'm going to write down stuff in my blog instead. And if they want something, I'll say, okay, this is my blog. Take it or leave it. If you want to read it, you can read my book as well. That's where it is. And um, I'm not going to spend two hours on you. So yeah. they say that I'm a, a horrible person. Well, too bad. I saw an interesting one the other day, actually. It was, uh, I think it was, was it Terry Daniel? I don't know whether you saw it, but um, uh, someone had contacted him and wanted uh, some coaching. And then he said, yeah, sure, I can coach you and it's going to cost you this much. And the guy's like, you're going to charge me for it? And then said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. So yes. I, I wrote right. the comment underneath saying, uh, when anybody ever tells me to go fuck myself, I say, I have other people do that for me because I'm too busy working. <laughs> One of the wonderful things of this this industry is that we have voiceover extra. John Florian, who curates it, um, usually um, combs through all the voiceover blogs in a week and then has his pick that he uh, puts out on voiceover extra. And uh, so my article that I wrote about the basic questions that people ask and answers that they don't want to hear, he republished it. And uh, just to give you an, uh, an example of what one guy wrote, and this guy, I looked him up, he's a DJ. But um, he said, here's a tip. Just add a blog to your voiceover website. Then get sites like voiceover extra to post your article, which links back to your blog. You can just write about anything. Just write obvious info like hum the lowest note as a warm-up before doing a voiceover. Blog about anything and somehow related to voiceovers. This guy is right in that it does increase your SEO and it also creates the impression that you're an expert in your field. Lawyers do it all the time, for example. They write articles to create the impression that they're extremely knowledgeable about the subject and it draws people to their firm. Or people comment on the article like I'm right now. Most of the time, it's just obvious stuff. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's the level of answers that 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 this evokes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you've gone somewhere that I'm a little bit interested in hearing from you. But now, after what you've said about giving away information, I'm also going to ask it with a little bit of trepidation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You, you mentioned you mentioned that you've sort of turned your business around from doing sort of long form books and stuff to now doing more short form stuff after your stroke. Um, without giving away, mm -hmm. yes. you know, the absolute secrets and details, how, how how did you do that? Was it social media? Was it just getting on the phone? Was it sort of t turning down jobs, taking others? How did you manage that? Because that's yes, a, that's, yes a, that's yes. a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 number one decision I had to make when I got out of the hospital and got my first voiceover job, and I found out that I couldn't do it because my voice was not helping me at all, was, am I going to be open about this or not? Because I don't want to lose any jobs because people people think that I'm handicapped and I have no voice left. 
because I, I had confidence that my voice would come back eventually, but I wasn't sure that clients were willing to wait that long. So I part of me said, you know, if you hide it, then nobody knows about it and they will hire you again and again. Otherwise, they'll think you're this handicapped person that they cannot rely on. On the other hand, I said, I can be very open about it and tell people what's going on and what I can and cannot handle. That way, I handle the expectations up front and they'll seek me out for jobs that I can actually do. So I ended up being very open about it and I'm very glad I did. And since my blog is read so well by not only my colleagues, but by a lot of my agents as well, they got the message. They knew that I was still in business, but that, that they should not send these long-form narrations to me. So from, from that moment that I started being open about it, I never got any audiobook requests unless people were completely new and hadn't heard about my story. I didn't get these long e-learning things, but like things that I could break up into small bits and bites, you know, a slide here, a slide there. Like today, I had a script that was half hour total, but it could break it up in small parts. It's like, how do you eat an elephant, you know, in small bits and bites. I can do those things. So by being open, I prepared the people that would hire me, and that has worked really well for me. And as an added bonus, I got a lot of feedback from people who said, you know, I've, I've gone through this as well, or I've had family members, and thank you for writing about what it's like to have had a stroke and about your recovery. And I've, I've made so many new friends since I came out of the hospital. And I, I'm not one of those people that says something that hits you at random is a blessing in disguise. But if there's a silver lining, it's that, that I've made new friendships. And, and people uh, look at me in a different way, um, in a more friendly way, in a more understanding way. And... Um, I got a request from a client the other day and explained the situation because he hadn't heard about my story. And I said, you know, this is your deadline. I know you want it back in two days, but this is a situation with my voice. Okay, if I send it back in a week. And they completely understood and it was fine. So many times, you know, you have to be open about it and um, clients are willing to go the extra mile if they really want your voice and like what you're doing. So yes, my advice would be be open about it don't sign up for a project where you know you can't deliver and you get yourself into a, a, a situation where you have to say no or apologize and ask for an extension of the, of the project. That's not good. I'd rather tell people up front what my limitations are and um, they're very, very willing to work with me, thank goodness. There's a lot of goodwill. What we, what we believe clients will think of what they will do, even with rates, you know, before client has said, you know, I can't pay it, we already have said it to ourselves, oh, I better not quote that high because they probably won't be able to afford me. How do you know? You know, you never know what a client cannot, cannot afford. They always try to lowball you. So don't give yourself that idea when you start the negotiations. And that's the same thing if I would have started the negotiations by, oh, they'll think of me as a stroke victim who's lost his voice. I probably won't be able to um, get the job because of this and that and the other. No, don't do it because you've already lost if you get into that mindset. Mm. Mm. It's funny, we, um, we've spoken about him on the show before, but we had a voiceover artist here in Australia, a guy called Matt Ponsonby, who was blind um, and had been blind since, well, he wasn't born blind, but he, he went blind due to a disease when he was a child. And, and similar story, you would, you would never know Matt was blind unless you actually worked with him. 
There was no mention of it on his website. There, and but he was the ultimate professional. He turned up twenty minutes before he was booked, and he would bring his braille machi- brailing machine with him, and he would get the receptionist in the studio or someone from around the radio station to sit down and read him his script, and he'd braille it up. By the time you were ready, you say the session was two o'clock. By the time two o'clock rolled around, he had the script brailed out. He was ready to walk into the room and put it up there, and and was the consummate professional with the most beautiful voice, I have to say. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, it, so it's really just how you handle it, isn't it? How you handle yourself and, and the way you approach it. Yeah. Absolutely, it, absolutely. It's funny though because um, on the other, the other side of this, I had a client that I was working with quite a lot and uh, I blew a disc and I couldn't drive to, uh, to the studio. So we did a remote session from my place. The client wasn't happy at all. And in fact, to the point where I've never worked with that person since. Wow, really? And there, and we did it all with Source Connect. Everything went swimmingly, not an issue. But because I wasn't in the studio, because I couldn't get in the car and drive, bang, gone. Name and shame, go on, get it out there. No, I won't. <laughs> I won't, just in case it comes back. But uh, yeah, that was um, that was really wow. interesting. It's uh, you, you can always tell the good clients from the bad ones when something like that happens. It's probably not good. It's probably not good or bad, but it's probably just I want to say ill-informed. But it's not even that, is it? It's just uh, sort of not even, not keeping up with the times. There's a whole bunch of things rolled up in there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I look up to me, I, and particularly with the current discussions globally about the state of the planet, it makes absolute perfect sense that we should be working remotely, like we are today, using technology that we're using today on this podcast. I mean, we're all three of us are in different cities. We're, we're having no problem. In fact, to, that we're in two different countries, but we're having no issues communicating with each other. And yet, for some reason, there's this odd pushback about it. And I don't... People want you to sit in your car in a traffic jam, pumping rubbish into the atmosphere, as opposed to working from here. Well, people can be very particular. I have certain clients that only want to deal with me on the phone. And then there are other clients who hate being on the phone, and I only deal with them via email. And then there's clients that want to be texting me all the time. And I really... (laughs) to keep track of who is doing what and likes to do what in order to keep them happy. Because um, I think some people are more auditory, some people are more visual, and um, it you see it in their working style. But you're absolutely right. In this day and age of, of climate change, and boy, it is changing, um, we, we should be promoting ourselves as one of the greenest industries in yes. the world. Um, yeah. When I, I mean, I'm pretty close to New York, but I try to avoid it like the plague because... It, I never know when I will arrive there. It takes about 90 minutes, but on a bad day, it takes about three hours. You have to pay tons in tolls and tons in parking. You spend like 10 to 15 minutes in a studio. You record it. You're done. You go home. And I, I'm losing a whole day. So for me, I'm very strict about that too. And I've lost many jobs because of it. They say, I'm not going to New York unless they're paying me $1,000 per gig. And my my agents know it, they respect it, and they don't bother me for anything less than $1,000. I've learned to put my foot down, and I know that once you do that, people will respect it. Mm. But it is interesting that we, we do have a very, potentially, a perfect green industry. Um, but it's just a matter of that education, mm. that, that people don't need to travel. We don't need to sit in cars. Mm. And I think, um, you know, with we've talked about on the quick bite that we did together with Robert, we talked about... Um, having a video link 
which is something I think probably is not a bad idea. So it would be like a virtual glass where you, you look at a big screen that could be your studio window. And on the other side of that, what would have been a window is your client or the studio. There is nothing that I can think of that doesn't work working remotely, even if you're working to pictures. Because once you've locked up the latency and you're taking audio cues, which you do anyway, I don't, when I'm doing a TV commercial, I'm not looking at the, the screen for my visual cues, I'm listening to the audio. Definitely. Well, here's one that springs from that. And it, it, this may be a problem more for me than for you guys, but it, it occurs to me because it happened to me the other day. Um, and, and to be fair here, I should preface this by saying I've sort of dug my own hole on this because I promote my studio as a 24-7 studio. So, you know, I'm asking for last minute stuff. But how do you guys find the client client understanding in terms of the way we work. Because the reason I'm asking this is I have a client who regularly rings me and goes, hey, we've just finished this edit. Uh, I know it's 10 o'clock in the morning, but I need it back by two o'clock this afternoon. Can you get it done? Um, and of course, you know, selling myself as a 24-7 studio, it's up for me to say, okay, yes, I can do that further to what you were talking about earlier, Paul, or no, I can't, I won't have the time, you might have to take it somewhere else. How do you guys find that? Do you guys find that client understanding of, hey, well, it's only a 30-second read, it'll only take him 30 seconds to read it and we'll have it back? Or, or, or do you find that they sort of understand a bit more in terms of, okay, well, you know, there's a little bit more to it than that? I have had the perfect excuse because uh, I can bring up my stroke story and uh, tell people that since my stroke, I have limited energy and limited ability to focus, and plus my voice gets affected, and they have to want to deal with that. Once again, I'm very upfront, and um, I, 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 it's to me, for me, it's not an excuse, it's a genuine reason. So they can call me and they can offer me a lot of money, and there's days that I just cannot do it because I'm not able, my voice is not able, I have no energy, I won't be able to get the words out of my mouth. So either we rescheduled for tomorrow or you have to find someone else. And I've lost lots of money because of it. And at the same time, I was surprised how many people were willing to work with me because they really wanted my voice. And because, you know, we live in a day and age where everything has to be done quickly, fast, and preferably yesterday, and they'll pay you in three months, you know. <laughs> and um, I, I, I really fight against that whole mentality. It, it seems like that people are proud of that, so that they're so busy. And um, I don't pride myself in being very busy. I just pride myself in doing a really good job. And I, I know what my limitations are. And um, so that's my particular situation. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what I was like before the stroke. And, and you know, part of my stroke is also that it's affected my memory. So some of the things are just completely gone. <laughs> I just draw a blank yeah. on that. Yeah. I can do that myself. But... I can medicate myself into losing memory. Don't you worry about that. But, uh, <laughs> that's another story. Hey, listen, I've just noticed uh, George has joined the conversation. Hello, George. Hey, George. Hey, everybody. I'm sorry I'm late. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, I'm doing well. We're having that's... a great conversation here. Thanks for joining us. Wonderful. I'm doing. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing well. I've, I've caught the last minute or so, and um, I'm just so glad to hear, you know, your journey of health is continuing and getting yes, better. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So with, with George chiming in, now might be a good time to turn our attention to technical aspects of your studio, Paul. Aha, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we've talked know what about I'm using? that stuff from time to time over <laughs> the years, haven't we? I've certainly yes. you know, learned, a, 
you know, learned of a few things from your experiments over the years and recommended <laughs> things based on what you found. So, talk us through your setup, Paul. What have you? What have you? What are you? Well, running? I'm a very lucky bastard because um, the <laughs> microphone that I'm using is a Microtech Gefell M930TS. It's a uh, they, the, they call a Gefell the East German Neumann. Of course, we no longer have East Germany, but after the wall, the Neumann factory was split up in two parts. One part became um, the West German factory, and the other part was the East German factory. They kept on making microphones in the old traditional way. Everything's handmade, and this is a microphone that I didn't pay for. I won it from a raffle. There was <laughs> yes, this great I couldn't website believe called it when My I saw Microphone that. Hacks. Yeah, it, it's amazing because, you know, I never win anything. But um, it, it's, uh, I think it's microphone hacks. No, it's not. It's um, recording hacks. Help me out, George. What? Recording hacks, exactly. Recording That's it. hacks. Recording right, hacks. Right. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Not sure if they're updating it. Matthew McGlynn is the guy behind it. Terrific website that tells you anything about any mic you ever wanted to know. Mic, uh, recording hacks. So they had this raffle. Every month they raffled off a new microphone. And I won this terrific condenser microphone. It's the smallest large condenser microphone in the world. It's used, it's used by the Pope even. So if it's good enough for the Pope, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's hanging down from a Rycote Envision studio kit. I'm a big fan of the Rycote uh, shock mounts with the liar system. Those are nice. So you don't have wires, but you have liars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pants on right. fire. <laughs> which, is, which is really nice. And... Um, I have a uh, uh, K&M boom arm, so it's nice and quiet. And then it, it used to feed in an Audient ID22, but that kicked the bucket a couple of days ago. And I had to get a little small unit, so I got the little baby brother, and that's the Audient ID4, which has the same uh, preamps that they also use in their big units and use in the ID22. And it's a plug-and-play little thing there. You don't have to uh, even uh, power it. You just stick it in the USB port, and it it works brilliantly. I love you, audience. It's very sturdy, and it gives me very clean audio. I rarely have to clean anything up, and I've been really impressed by the quality of those English guys. Yeah. So, and there you have it. Really, that's my studio. Well, it's interesting because um, I've got also got the M nine thirty. You got the transformer version but I have the one without the transformer, which I've had for years and years and years, not using it at the moment. But uh, mine is the 80th anniversary George Neumann special um, because, as you mentioned before, that Microtechafel is actually really the true Neumann because Neumann, after the war, was sold to Sennheiser. But their Neumann factory in uh, Gefell, which was known as Neumann Gefell, uh, was taken over by um, the communists and they changed the name from Neumann because they didn't want to associate with the German and changed it to, it wasn't Microtech Gefell back then, it was some other name, I can't remember exactly what it was. But hence the reason that, um, different name, but it is actually the real Neumann with all the original tools. Yes, and it's such a sweet little mic and I, I love it because uh, it, it's in my in my, my field of vision because I, uh, I read from my computer in my, my little booth that I built myself. I've got a 7x7 seven seven, uh, sound booth. And uh, it's, it keeps my field of vision pretty much free. I don't have this big, huge mic in front of my face. And it just works brilliantly. And I didn't pay a dime for it. It's phenomenal. I've tried many mics in the past and many mics later on as well. Because every now and then I get my hands on one. And I want to 
test a few so that I can write about them in my blog. This has always been my go-to mic, and uh, it will stay with me for a long, long time because it's indestructible. And it's just so cute and lovely. <laughs> and beautifully made. Absolutely. Very beautifully made. I take care of it very well. You know, whenever I'm done with a session, I put a little sack around it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in it, I've got this silicone, um, silicone little, uh, what is it, crystals in there too, to keep it nice and dry. Because you really need to take care oh, of your the baby. silica gel, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's little things that you get when you order all kinds of stuff online. It comes with those silica gel things. And it, I want to protect it. Now, you also used to have um, uh, a Grace Design M101. And, of course, George, you uh, you know the Grace, Grace Brothers? Yes, I do. What was the reason for getting rid of the Grace? <sighs> you know... Tend to think of that. That's a good question because it was working really well for me as well. I love the Grace. Very nice and clean, crisp, clear sound. And uh, it's probably this this little gear gearhead in me that just wanted to try a new shining ob shiny object. And um, I I couldn't afford to buy a whole new ID twenty two thing, so I had to sell something. I said, okay, Grace, you got to go. We've had a nice life together, but it's time for you to seek a different home. But I was very happy with the Grace, and I would still buy it. I, um, if they would know, only I put a USB port in it. Yeah, yeah, they, they have now? No. There's a USB? No, it <laughs> no but I've told them to one. do it. <laughs> they, okay, they, well, they should listen to you. They're, uh, you know, they're extremely, they, they know what they want, and they know what their clients want, but they also yeah. have this, like, aversion to making an inter interface because they feel like there's too oh. many of them out there already and they don't want to compete with yeah. everybody else. But boy, if they had a USB interface and a headphone mm -hmm. jack in that thing, it could be a killer, killer piece of gear. That would but, be you know, ideal. When you can yeah, keep your studio yeah. simpler and still achieve right. sonically, equi you know, an equivalent sound, it's like, a, right. a, you know, simple sometimes. It's, it's really nice for voice yeah. actors to yeah, have a yeah. simple studio. Yeah, I just remember, I think one of the reasons why I got the ID22 was I could plug in two mics at the same time because I had the idea that I wanted to have a mic for commercials, you know, like the 416, and then one more for long-form narration, like the, the Gefell that I'm using right now, and I wouldn't have to switch and plug in every time, uh, plug a different mic in. So I thought that looked really handy to me, be able to plug two mics in. And it also gave me uh, a virtual um, uh, mixer, that I liked as well. And uh, I think the there was a high-pass filter on the Grace, right? Yeah, there yeah, was. Because I also got that on the... Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Audient is yeah. one of the very few units like it that actually does have a high-pass filter on it. Most of the mm -hmm. you know interfaces, right. all-in-ones, do not. So that was a compelling feature to me. That was the only thing that's missing now from a little ID4 unit uh, that I have to tie me over until the Audient repairs the... Uh, ID22, um, there's no high-pass filter. And um, yeah. I I, yeah. I do miss it. I do miss it because um, it's such an easy way to get rid of the, the low rumble. And uh, I mean, I can use a plug-in and everything, but uh, it's yeah. just so handy to have it ready. Just to flip the switch and you're done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I Audience, I have to admit, I mean, you know, you know how I do a lot of studios, so I... I don't see just one audience ID22. I, you know, I see 50. And mm -hmm. there's been quite a failure rate of the ID22. I don't know what's really? going on. 
but I've had no, no, no. at least six or seven people now with huh. ID twenty two failures. It's a oh, bummer because I was that was the what was a yeah. piece of gear I would hang my hat on, right? I mean, I just told everybody right. to go get it. And as a guy that recommends gear to, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people by proxy um or more, you know, it's when you when you recommend something and then it turns out to start having issues, it's always, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a letdown, it's a bummer. Um yeah. I know the, the ID4 is awesome. I love the ID4. I love the simplicity yeah. of it. It's clean, it's simple, it's affordable. It's portable. Um, I, I think mm -hmm. the ID4 is fantastic. I don't know anybody that's had a failure with that, but it's a far right. simpler unit. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have that external power supply. So for whatever reason, that's something that's been happening with a number of people. Yeah, yeah. When I described the problem that my ID22 was having to, uh, to the audience people, it's like uh, when you have an old radio and you were switching between channels, it's that sound in between channels. That's what was coming from the inside of the ID22, and they have no idea what's causing it. They think it's hardware-related, so they, yeah. they're sending me a label, UPS label free of charge. I can send it to their repair unit here in the United States, and um, even though it's out of warranty, they repair it for me. So i got to tell you, they stand behind their stuff, definitely. That's good stuff. That's good to know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm. I was. I was surprised too because it's built to last and it's working. Yeah. It's been working for me very well. But um, yeah, it gave up. So well, thanks goodness for one day um, delivery because uh, I ordered it on Amazon one day and the next day I got it and could keep on going with my voiceover project because it always happens at the time when you cannot you afford to to lose your uh, your preamp. It always happens. It's like Murphy's law. Let yeah. that be a lesson. Everybody should have a second <laughs> yes, backup exactly. uh, interface yes. or something, even a Micport Pro or something basic. Just uh... I keep a 002 rack stored in this in the cupboard here in the studio, just in case my Pro Tools goes down. So I've just you know chuck yeah. that in and stick in the Firewire wire cable and keep going. I think you can get right. a 002 now on eBay for what's the lowest amount you can sell something? Twelve cents. Oh really? I got one for <laughs> I got one for forty bucks over here not long ago, and I'm about to buy another one because I'm building a a voice booth for my wife, and I'm just going to chuck a double O two in there for her to plug her laptop into, so right. she can just go in there and record. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, they're next to nothing, but robust. I have a question to George about uh, the lack of a high pass filter. Um, while I was researching uh, ways to to get a high pass filter other than just a plug in, I came across a. Uh, a thing made by Shure, it's called the Condenser Microphone A15HP. And it looks like it's something that you stick at the back end of your uh, microphone. It's got an XLR uh, thing that you can plug in and helps eliminate electrical and mechanical noise in an audio system and it affects frequencies below 100 hertz. I'm reading off the description here. Right. When connected to the microphone input on a typical mixer, it reduces low frequencies by 12 dB per octave. Have right. you used something like that? Um, I, I have not used that one or used it. I think I've probably recommended it to maybe more than one person over the years. Yeah. There's no reason why it wouldn't work. Um, mm -hmm. It's a fixed frequency thing. But then again, so is the switch on the M101 and so is the switch on the ID22. It's just a switch. So, right. you know, it's yeah. basically replicating yeah. what that switch does or what a lot of microphones have. You know, so it's one of those things, it, it's either going to help or not help at all. Right? And, and it's right. a very simple test. Plug it in, yeah. oh, that sounds fine, or plug it in, uh, I don't like the way it sounds. So, 
I think it's probably a good uh, problem solver. You know, it's again, you don't want to have to keep doing a high pass filter in your software. You want to just keep moving. So this should give you, give you, give you some help in that rumble filtering. Right. Yeah. It's under 50 bucks. So it's affordable. So I'll, uh, I'll order it and let you know how it works out. Yeah. It's a nice little, it looks like the, the size of a Micboard Pro almost, not, not, not any bigger. Yeah, it's it's completely passive. You know, it just has a, uh, as it says, uh, each leg has a 2.7 kilo ohm resistor. Um, and it, it's a very simple piece. So it will not change the sound of the mic, it will not alter it, it won't change, it won't add any noise. It'll just reduce rumble. So I, I think it's probably going to be just fine. Out of interest, Paul, what, uh, what uh, DAW are you using? I'm using Twisted Wave. Love Twisted Wave. I like the simplicity. It just simply works. And, uh, you know, coming from radio and everyone all, and the Pro Tools environment, I've, I've, I've always found that very confusing for voiceover. And I only have one voice. I don't do any mixing myself. I don't add any, any music. I want to keep it as pure and as simple as possible. And Twisted Waves has just been a revelation. And um, the guy behind it is so quick to respond and is very personable. Whenever there's a problem, I just have to send him one email and the, next, the same day I usually get an answer. It, like I said, it's never let me down. It's phenomenal. And now we got punch and roll integrated. What else could you want? Now, it's interesting because um, I've, I have Twisted Wave on my laptop, but um, I a- actually have WaveLab Steinberg on the big machine in the studio here. And uh, a friend of mine I mentioned before, Pip, he came over yesterday and he did an EQ scan of my booth um, and just found the really odd sounds at, at certain frequencies and just EQ'd them, basically pulled them down so they've, they've gone. Um, that could be something worth considering. I just wonder what DAW you had and if you had an EQ. You did an EQ scan? Like... What did he do? Play play a tone sweep like no. He just he just um, he just played one of my voice files and then you know slid across the EQ and just found where there was one. It actually sounded like I was shouting at a piece of glass. Oh, okay. So he just pulled. Yeah, that's that. basically what I do. I mean, I don't yeah. use anything fancy. I don't use tone generators and all kinds of wacky stuff. I just I just use my ears. <laughs> if I yeah. hear something that I don't <laughs> think quite belongs. You know, I'll, I'll adjust for that. That's, 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 yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. So it was really interesting to find that. Look, to my, I can't hear the difference, but uh, just tightens up the audio. Yeah. WaveLab yeah. and Twisted Wave have a lot of commonality. WaveLab's a bit more complex um, and it looks a little bit more complex, but they're similar in a lot of ways. And I, I like the way WaveLab has like an effects rack window that's kind of, kind of part of the whole deal. Like it has a, the rack type thing that Twisted Wave calls a stack, and it it's it works very similarly. And uh, I like how you can have that preloaded and just ready to go at all times. So you're, if you're going to use anything like an EQ notch to adjust for resonance, or you want to use a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it's already can be in the rack and it's just ready to go. Yeah, it's really a, it's it's a good piece of software. I was big on it for a very long time until I went Mac, and the Wave Lab at that time wasn't on Mac and. Twisted Wave kind of stepped in its place for me, um, but uh, WaveLab is still a great piece of gear. Yeah, soft gear. Now, Paul, I got a question for you. Changing the subject from gear, where is your majority of your work? Is it speaking English or is it speaking Dutch? 
I'd say most of it is speaking English with kind of a, a weird, undistinguishable accent. I mean, <laughs> when I first came to the United States, I spoke like a Brit, and people always mistook me for someone from, from Britain. I wasn't able to work, so what could I do? I could waiter. So it was always a game that I played with my, my customers, and I said if they could guess where I was from, they um, could get a free dessert on me. And nobody ever guessed it correctly, because uh, well, most of them they said you're from from the UK because in Holland we learned the Queen's English, so I sounded very posh, and um, that's how I started. But then something weird happened. I became Americanized, and my accent started to change throughout the years. And now this is this weird mishmash of a little bit of UK, a little bit of Canadian, a little bit of American. But I've never been able to speak with a like a mid-Atlantic accent or American accent, whatever it is. It's become this strange thing that is me and that apparently is marketable. And people pick me for their international voice. And that's the majority of my work. Not Dutch, not really English, but like a, this international man of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> and it helps because uh, a, a lot of companies have a global presence and they work in different markets where sometimes a very English accent doesn't sell their products or a very American accent is not considered to be very positive, but something in the middle is quite okay. So I really benefit from that. So I sell myself as the ultimate European voice. And it's not <laughs> something that I cultivated, it just happened. You know what I hear in there on some of the phrases when I'm listening to you speak, I hear Arnie. I hear Arnie's ac yeah, uh, yeah. accent. Yeah, just not on everything, but just on a oh, few yeah. phrases right, and yeah. things you say. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, probably. Actually, can you just say, I'll be back? <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> well, that's German is actually the second language Dutch kids learn German because Germany is very close. And then it's English and then it's French and a little bit of Spanish. But yes, my, my, my first second language is German. Right. My second second language is English. Yeah. So, yeah, but when, when I first came to the United States and I started doing voiceover work, all kinds of people tried to sell me these accent reduction trainings. And they said, you really should do that because you become more marketable. But then I said, I would end up sounding like everybody else with the same standard American mm -hmm. accent. Mm -hmm. I want to be right. me. I want to sell myself like me because there's nobody like me. It's not arrogant, but it's just... Well, like nobody is like George, nobody's like you. We all have our own voice that is immediately identifiable and it turned out to be marketable. So I'm keeping what I do and 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 it's making me good money. I can tell you, yes, it's been a I've had a in spite of my stroke, I'm having a really good year. Great. And yeah. it's because of this silly accent of mine that that I just got for free. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we just mentioned Arnie. Look at him. I mean, imagine uh, you, it makes you think how he would have gone if he had have dropped his accent for the for the screen. Yes, I know. You know? Yeah, yeah. He'd be completely right. different. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. We were, I was talking about this with someone yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, and um, about how we are told about accents. So when I got into radio back in the late seventies. I had a London accent, and um, I was told there, were, you know, there's no way you'll ever work in Australia with that accent. So you've got to get rid of it. <laughs> and you didn't. And I, well, I did. I did get rid of it. And um, and it was weird because um, then I, I was on radio acting this character, which I did for years, and then thought this is ridiculous. I'm every day I come in and put on this silly voice, 
and I'm going to stop, which I did. But I didn't go back to my original accent. I ended up with this one, which is nothing like either of the ones that I used to have, which is quite bizarre. And I wonder if people had no idea where either you, you or my, myself are from, would they be able to pick it? Right. It's tough. And that's the whole thing. If they can't, then you're in luck because you be that's exactly what my clients want. Yeah. My clients don't want to know where I'm from because that comes with all kinds of connotations. Some are good and some are not so good. And um, if they can't identify where you're from, then that that is works to my advantage. Absolutely. I'm, I'm milking that one, really. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting the point you made about some people don't want a, a British accent and some people don't want an American accent. They want something that sits in the middle. And uh, that's certainly the case um, for a couple of my clients. And the reason that I've got them is because they don't want either of those two accents. Right. And they do... They do um these comparative researches where they have the same campaign with a different accent or same campaign with a woman's voice or a men's voice, and they test them in different markets. And they found out that in Indian markets, American accents do way better than British accents because the Brits still remind them of their colonial past. Whereas <laughs> yes. in other countries, like America, they love British accents. They, Even though the Brits have not been nice to the Americans in the past. They love the British because you sound a little wiser, more intelligent with you have a British accent. So yeah, yeah they, they're very clever about that and they do extensive research and they, it, it's a whole new different type of expertise to find the, the right voice for the right campaign depending on the geography. Are you able to manipulate your accent a little bit for certain jobs? Yes, yes, yes. And that's... that's part of my job as well to, to manipulate it according to the wishes of the client. And um, one of the things I do is very easily is, is a Dutch accent. So I can manipulate my voice so I sound a little bit more like, uh, do you know the Dutch um, film director Paul Verhoeven? He was the one who directed uh, Robocop and uh, Showgirls. And what's the one with Sharon Stone that, uh, where she uses the ice pick, tell me? Oh, Final uh, Attraction? The director of it. Yeah. Fatal attraction, yes, yes. So Paul Verhoeven talks like this. And the Dutch have a very hard time pronouncing the TH. So they say this and that and how do you do? And so I make my, my voice a little bit more Dutch accented. But sometimes I have to sound really more British if I'm trying to be a professor and uh, I'm lecturing people about certain medications, then that's the way I do it. I change my inflection, I go up and down and try to be a little bit more British. And... Um, the worst accent that I never get down is American accent. That's what I tell you. If you want me to do American accent, find someone else because I've never mastered <laughs> it. I don't find it particularly appealing. Neither have and I. When I do it, I try to do some kind of Texas accent. It sounds really ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> do people mistake you for being South African? No, 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 they don't. Even though, you know, Afrikaners and Dutch is very close. It, the, the, the language is related. You know, when you listen to Afrikaners, it's kind of old Dutch. Yeah. And, but they know they don't do that. No, no, no. It's, um, it's not an accent that I can do either. I admire people who can do that and switch from one accent into the other seamlessly. I sometimes have to work at it a little bit. But uh, Afrikaners, is, I, it's a beautiful language. I have a couple of family members who emigrated after the Second World War who live in Africa. And um, we can actually, I can write in Dutch and they can write in Afrikaners and we, we understand one another. It's interesting. The reason I ask is I, I would have thought you'd have been picking up some nice work in, in uh, South Africa. 
especially uh, in areas of Africa. I've done some commercials for car dealerships in South Africa, but I always wanted my... The last one I did was with a French accent. <laughs> because oh. it was for a Renault, and they wanted like, like an over-the-top hello, hello French accent. Uh, do you remember that series? <laughs> hello, hello, yes, of course. BBC, you know. Listen carefully, I only say this once, you know, with <laughs> René and his merry men. This cafe during German occupation yes. is one of those classic British comedies. And I, oh, I you can do stupid that. I can do woman. accent. <laughs> you, you silly woman. Yes. <laughs> I was aroused by a loud banging. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Herr Flick. Herr Flick and Frau Helga. <laughs> or what a yes. mistake I make. <laughs> they got all these little things there, these sayings that became kind of famous. Yes, yes. I can do those things. I can I can do those little cartoonish accents. So what are your plans, apart from obviously staying alive? Yes, that's plan number one, obviously. <laughs> but my plan is to um to bring out another book. I've I've done very well, I have to say, with my very first book, uh, which is Making Money in Your PJs. And it's been out for four years now. Yes, I, I yes for for four years, and need some updating. So that's one thing I'm going to work on a, a new edition of that book. But I've written so many blogs, and one thing I've realized is that um, I'd like to give a little bit more shelf life to my blogs. And blogs, it's like podcasts that go in one ear, out the other. It's the same with blog posts. If you put them in a book. It has a little bit more, a longer shelf life. So I've selected about 40 or 50 of my best blogs of the last couple of years. I was already working on it before I got my stroke. So it, it was on hold for a year, but I'm now getting back to it and rewriting some of them, updating them. And uh, hopefully at the end of the summer, at the beginning of the fall, it's going to be a new book. And I think I'm going to call it the blah, blah business. Or alternatively, I might call it a cheese head in voiceover land. I don't know which one's better, but we'll, we'll <laughs> test, I'll test it. It's the blah, blah business or cheese head in voiceover land. It has to be nothing serious because I think uh, life is too serious. And uh, I'd like to introduce a little bit more silliness in the, to the voiceover community. You could actually call it the chew lip service. Yes, yes, yes I could do that too. <laughs> yes, yes. They they have this postcard where you see tulips and it says uh, tulips from Holland. So that's that's another thing I could do. Yes, I don't know if that's copyrighted already, but uh, I could do that. Yeah, thanks or tulips. for the suggestion. Yeah, yes, tulips from Holland. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing I'm uh, I'm, I'm working on, and uh, that's one thing I like about this business. It's very unpredictable. It's one thing I hate about this business that's unpredictable, but there's always something because. Uh, while we were talking, um, two or three new voiceover um, projects came in that look very interesting. Most of them short form. There's long form as well. So, you know, um, I've, um, I keep myself busy. Another thing that this is very different but very much fun for me is that um, I've, I'm, I'm an announcer, believe it or not. Everybody says you can't use your announcer voice in voiceovers anymore. I've actually been asked to be an announcer for the past five years of our local farmer's market. I live in a town called Eastern Pennsylvania, and we have the oldest, the longest-running outdoor farmer's market in the entire United States. We've been in Center Square since 1752, and um, this Saturday we have our opening of the summer market season, and I'm going to be the, the main announcer introducing all the VIPs. We have a ribbon-cutting session. 
I, um, I'm the DJ. I play the music there. I introduce the live music. And uh, I'm just in the thick of it, in the middle of Center Square. We have about 24 different vendors. And there's about 4,000 people who come to the market on a nice sunny day. And it's, it's phenomenal to be able to, to see what, that, what you say, how it lands. Because in the beginning of the show, we talked about the isolation that we feel, that we talk to the walls, talk to our microphone, and we have no idea how what we say lands, how people respond. And ever since I started doing those announcing gigs, I know exactly how people respond and how they react to what I do because they're all around me. And I see people smile. And I'm kind of the billboard of the market because we have all kinds of vendors and they don't advertise. The only thing they have is me who tells about the latest specials and about the beats that are on sale and the leaks and strawberries and all the fun and silly stuff. And I try to make up commercials on the fly. And um, the great thing is that we're in center square and it's all filled with loudspeakers so I can hear my voice throughout the entire downtown of Easton and it's a mighty feeling. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the next big thing for me and I can't wait. I can tell you, you know, if there's anything that I um, love doing more than voiceovers, it's doing live announcing. And it's so gratifying because because you're very audible and very visible the people that come up to me and say boy you've got a good voice you should do something with that you know and then i tell them about it and then say you know i have this hair salon that needs uh, a local commercial could you do that there's a guy who owns an indian restaurant who's opening a new chain he says can you do our voicemail so even though it's volunteer work i've ended up getting gigs from my announcer job being there in center square just as the announcer of the eastern farmers market it's the best thing ever <laughs> excellent i like that or you know get out there and go to a hospital cuz they need people to read to people go to a kids ward where kids have cancer and are bored to death all day and uh, offer to read you know it's going to be so much more gratifying than than some of the clients will ever be. Or go to a retirement home where people are lonely and they're dying of loneliness and they they need somebody who listens to them and somebody who wants to talk to them and somebody to read to them the stories that they know from the past. And I I have some some students who study voiceover me with me and they're not ready for the big jobs, but they want to gain some experience and say, you know what? Go read to kids, go read to the elderly and make connections. And they come back and they have tears in their eyes. They say, you know, I went to this retirement home. I started reading for one person. Then another person wanted me to read for them. And now they've st- they started a book club. And people have discussions about books. And they, they meet other people through the reading club that they have. And it's grown and grown. And there's so many more things that we can do with our voice than just commercials and audiobooks and e-learning. And it's right out there on your doorstep. You just have to go out and offer your services and you will love it. So that's my little plug for doing volunteer work and being part of your community. I like it. I don't know if you have time, but uh, I just was a side comment I made on, uh, on Facebook. I said, you know, if I had all the time in the world, I would go to a prison and I would start a voiceover training program there. Because these people are, again, bored to death. And once they get out of prison, they need to do something. And, um, you know, you don't have to have a voice like Don LaFontaine in order to make a living as a voiceover artist. But these people have plenty of time and you don't need a lot of technical equipment. They can talk to themselves an old cassette recorder and and record it for me and, and I can coach them. But what if we could get a whole set of people who are in prison right now 
are really talented and start recording audiobooks and then send them to fellow prisoners and they listen to them and it could become a new thing, you know. Um, that's just another idea that I had. And some people who were friends with me on Facebook said, that's a really good idea. You should do that. So I hope someone will pick that up. Go to prisons, teach people a nice profession so they, they have something to do when they get out and make somebody's day. The thing is, of course, you've got to remember that while they're in prison, they will be working for free. Yeah. Doing our job. Yeah. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Maybe not such a good idea. <laughs> I don't know if they can can they can market their services from, from inside the prison. I was going to say, um, I can't imagine but, there's too many people who'd be too pleased having their book voiced by a prisoner. <laughs> but once, once they get out, it might change. But, you know. Yeah. But yeah, who would know? Yeah. Who would know? That's the point. No one would know who they are. Most of them are more bored stiff and they, they want something to do and they have plenty of time to really learn the trade. And, uh, you know, we have this chain here in the United States called Mod Pizza, made, made on demand. And it's basically you have your, your pizza, uh, your, your, your dough, and then it's like a buffet. You can pick any topping you want and it's all the same price. And what they do is they help people who have had a criminal past get back on their feet. And so you know that there's there's people who had um, have, who did time, and they're great people, and they make great pizza. So if they can do that, why can't we help voice? Of, why can voiceover community help prisoners, mm. and get back on their feet and start a career as an audiobook narrator? Another podcast yeah. that I work on, we talked to a guy who was a convicted bank armed bank robber. He got he got sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences plus ninety nine years in London, in the, in the UK. But he, uh, he, while he was in prison, his son died. And because he'd attacked wardens and done all sorts of sort of nasty things while he was in prison, the warden said, well, there's no way I'm letting you out to go to your son's funeral. <laughs> and it turned his life around. He actually wrote a book and is now an acclaimed author and has actually been released from prison uh, and is leading this amazing life, writing books and speaking on the public circuit. And... Um, Yes, I mean, you know, I think what you're suggesting is a great idea. I mean, I think if you give these guys something tangible to hang on to and give them some hope, right. then uh, you're doing a great thing, no matter what that thing, tangible right. thing is. Right, and it's, it's easy to do. It doesn't cost a lot. And you give somebody something else to do because otherwise you know they'll end up be becoming a better criminal. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's what most people end up being, yeah. you know. That's, it's a big university of, uh, of crime, really, because yeah, you have yeah, the, yeah. the biggest brains in crime get together and all they learn about is become a better criminal. Yeah. So why not do something useful and, and get into the voiceovers? It's just an idea, but whoever wants me to take up on it, uh, go ahead and start it. Cause, I think uh, it's a great idea. I'm, I'm telling you, doing these volunteer things is, is so much more satisfying and it gets you out of the studio, which is so important because there's a whole world outside of the walls of our studio that we sometimes don't even realize it's there. Mm. And uh, you need to explore it and use your talents to the max. That's one of the things I realized when I, when I was face-to-face with death. We have limited time, so it matters even more what you do with it. Yeah. And sometimes we all need this wake-up call. And I got it early on, thank goodness. And I really start to think about what is what other things that I can do that are more meaningful. You know, when, when somebody asks, would you like to do this video game? We need this villain type of guy, person. And it turns out to be a, a game filled with gratuitous violence. I said, is this really the best way I can use my time? No, it's not. So I'll pass it on to someone else because that's not what I want to do. It really helps me put my life into perspective, my profession into perspective. And 
also make realize make me realize that it's not always about the money. I've had my best moments doing stuff for free, as I said, in Center Square at the Eastern Farmers Market, talking about strawberries. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> recommend it. Yes, and if you ever come to Eastern Pennsylvania, come on a Saturday morning, find me. And I'll give you the microphone. That's my promise. And you can be an announcer for a day. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I don't think there's any more we can say, really, is there? No, I think we're well covered. Yeah, that was great. That's oh, great being here. I, I could talk forever. That was the Pro Audio Suite. If you have any questions or ideas for a show, let us know via our Facebook, the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Yeah.